you will not need your the blue Bibles this morning. You shouldn't. Uh, the scripture will hopefully be on the next slide. Able to flip forward there. Okay. So we're we're in the middle of a sermon series on growing to maturity in Christ. Or grow, we're saying growing up into Christ, who is the head of the body of which we're a part. We're all called to grow up into or to be conformed to his image. You know, this is your lifelong goal. People often pray, what's God's will for me? And we want to seek out God's will. And God tells us very clearly, he does guide our lives. He's a good shepherd who guides, who's got plans, purposes. He gives gifts and callings. But first and foremost and highest is this calling to grow up into and become like, in all ways, Jesus Christ. And so last week, Pastor Jalisa brought us just an excellent sermon on growing up into the wisdom of Christ. And when the Bible talks about wisdom, it's not some philosophical, highfalutin idea. It's really, really practical. It's how to live a thriving life, a fruitful life, a blessed life. It's what's required to know how to live in this world well. And the answer is wisdom. And so the Bible has a lot to say about wisdom, but what she said last week near the end of her sermon really set this sermon up because she said you can't get wisdom without humility. You won't posture yourself to learn from the Lord to study his word, to seek him, to listen to him, to ask him to show you what's in your heart or in your thinking if you don't have humility. So this morning we're going to talk about growing up into Christ's humility. And our scripture text is going to be from Philippians 2. The Bible has a tremendous amount, start to finish, to say about humility And as I considered this morning's text, I really felt not led to sort of stack one on top of the other on top of the other and look at the the breadth of Scripture, but just to look at one one text, one picture in which Paul's pointing us to Jesus and his humility. So we're going to read from... uh, I'm going to read from the PowerPoint because this is a, a more literal version. It's the Revised Standard Version. I wanted us to hear a little bit of different wording And then in the sermon, I'll use the NIV as I'm talking about the text. So let me read together um, Philippians 2, 2 to 11. Paul says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better or more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves or within yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto or to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. I mean, the word of God. (laughs) You can't finish something like that and not say amen, huh? Well, friends, my wife's name is Anne, for those of you who don't know her. I know there's some visitors this morning, and I want to start by saying that maybe Anne and I are a little strange, but we've confided to each other that we each daydream about answering a specific question that at some point we think will be asked. Hers is, what are some of the best decisions you've ever made? And mine is, what are some of the hardest things you've ever done? So I won't answer for Anne, but I'll tell you with permission that hands down the most difficult thing I've ever done is parent our children. And that is not a statement or a reflection of who our children are because they are amazing gifts and each amazing people. And they know I'm going to talk about this. But rather, parenting has this way of drawing out of me the selfish parts of my heart and the proud parts of my heart and the greedy parts of my heart and the entitled parts of my heart. And unfortunately, I could keep going with all of the parts of my heart that aren't so pretty that parenting draws out. What parenting really does is it has this way of showing where I'm still operating independent of God's good guidance. So God says, be slow to speak. And quick to listen. And yet I can speak awfully quickly when I'm trying to shush conflict that's disturbing my peace. God says if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask and it will be given generously to all without finding fault. And yet I can so often rush in to a conflict that's happening without pausing to ask or to find out just how I might deal with this and that wisdom would have been immensely helpful God says thank you for reading it Vic God says be completely humble and gentle and I can be agitated and I can be sharp as I correct and each time I speak this way I regret it deeply because the fruit is bitter Rather than being able to have a corrective conversation that's necessary, we end up having to have another conversation, which is one in which I'm apologizing for hurting feelings with my tone or with my words. 
Sometimes I feel like the 1990s Christian uh, pop rock band, DC Talk, anybody remember them? Wrote, wrote um, some of the lyrics of the song Hard Way for Me. Maybe you, maybe you remember this. Some people gotta learn the hard way. I guess I'm the kind of guy who's got to find out for myself. He gets real high. I've got to learn the hard way. But in my more objective moments, I realize they didn't write that song for me. They wrote that song for all of us. Because we've all been enrolled, enrolled in the school of learning the hard way. We've all been born with an independent spirit, with a stubborn streak, with a propensity to assert my will and my desires, to make my decisions and to live my life without full, patient consideration for God's will and God's desires. It's not that we don't believe God. We all do. It's not that we don't profess faith in him and that we don't want to please him. We do. But this independent, self-asserting streak is just so strong enough that in us it just kind of keeps popping up like a, a whack-a-mole that you can't hardly keep down. And at the root of this self-assertion, this independence, is this little word that lies at the root of all of my sin and all of your sin. Pride. Pride is what Paul is challenging as he writes to the Philippians in chapter 2 of this letter. So through his short letter, we hear him name, this is from the rest of the letter too, we hear him name disunity in the church, rivalry between individuals and groups, some who are viewing themselves as more significant than others, some who are grumbling or complaining or literally, the Greek says, questioning. Questioning. So, some may be chafing against the leaders whom God's put in place to build up the church, maybe speaking critically of them, resisting their leadership. Imperfect leadership, yes, but still God's choice for that specific time and place. Others in the Philippian church may be struggling to get over hurt feelings, perhaps saying they've forgiven, but continuing to nurse old, hurtful feelings. Feelings, making a bigger deal out of those feelings than out of the grace of God that can bring healing and reconciliation. Some in the church may be making decisions out of selfishness. I don't want to do that ministry. I want to do this one. Lacking the heart of a servant, they serve or they do what they're asked, but more so that they can feel good about themselves than to bring Christ, their master, happiness. Some may have their hearts set on earthly things, thinking very little of the advance of the gospel. And so they're showing up to worship, much like the rest of their lives, or much like the rest of us, but their lives are really about them. Beyond worship, their lives are about their preferences, their hobbies, their interests. Some may be lacking in love. So they're leading, they're serving, but they've got sharp edges. They're lacking in patience. They're more concerned for procedure and details and whether this email got sent or that than for people and for relationships. But you know what the good news is? The good news is that since we have no struggles like that, 
at Gold Avenue Church. Because we love each other and we serve each other so perfectly and we've got no disharmony in our relationships here, nor do we have disharmony in our relationships at home or with our families or our friends, that this is going to be the shortest sermon I have ever preached. Praise the Lord. Merry Christmas. Everybody who has perfect harmony may now go. Yeah, we need to hear from Paul too. We need to hear what Paul says is at the root of disharmony or what's underneath disharmony. So as Paul begins to address not the actions, not the behaviors, not the words, but the roots, he gathers, first he does this beautiful thing, he gathers everybody together. He says this, Therefore, if you've got any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and any compassion. Is there anybody that can't put up their hand right now? Like, are you encouraged to belong to Jesus Christ? Do you have comfort from the fact that the son of God like loved you so much that he found you through people, found you and said, I, I love you. I want to forgive your sins. I want to fill you with life. I want to remove the effects of the things that you've done that have dem- devastated your life. I want to bring you to me. I love you. So everybody is saying, yep, that's me. That's me. I, I've got, and you know what? I share in the spirit. And I, because of Christ's love, I've got tenderness and compassion. And so in one little sentence, he's kind of gathered the whole church together and he says, if any of you, if any of you, and we're all going, yeah, that's us, that's us. He goes, okay, then make my joy complete by being of one mind, the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord or unity, and again, of one mind. He doubles up that mind bit. So it's like he's stacking up these layers of unity and saying, be one, people. If that's you, if you've got this from Christ, then be one. And we're all going, how's that going to happen, Paul? Like, we don't know a single group or family or community on the earth that realistically evidences that kind of oneness. Like, perfect harmony of the way they, of their mind, of the way they think, of their hearts, of love. I mean, this kind of unity is... Kind of what everybody's looking for, but where is it? And like it's not in the Philippian church, and like we can't look at any of your other letters or any other churches and point to it, so how do we get there, Paul? Paul says, it comes as you do nothing from selfishness. Nothing from seeking to serve your own interests. Nothing from putting yourself above others. Nothing from conceit, but in humility, count others better or more significant than yourselves. And when he says humility, the Greek word here is not the normal word used for humility. It's a a putting together of two other words in which one of them has got the meaning of lowliness. The other one has the meaning of mind or thinking. And the picture he's trying to create is lowly thinking about ourselves. Have this way of viewing yourself that's 
kind of like, if it, if it were a word picture, he'd be saying, like, remember one of those nights when you were a child and you, you were outside and it was dark and you stared up at the sky and you saw billions of stars and you were overwhelmed at the magnitude of the universe, the vastness of it. And you realized, you had this moment of just realizing how small you really are. He says, have that kind of mind, the kind of way of thinking about yourself. But he doesn't want the picture to stop at that smallness. He, sa- it's, he says, first, it's, in, it's meant to invoke a response of recognizing our lowliness and God's bigness. It's kind of, it's, it's meant to, to bring about this like, this falling on our faces before God. And like, recognizing not just how great He is and how small we are, that kind of lowliness, but then it's meant to, to produce within us this desire to have everything about us yielded to Him. Everything about us conformed to Him. Everything about our lives fully shaped by His good and His holy will. So humility, says Paul, is this, this lowliness of mind that then is yielded to God in everything. It's being in complete agreement with God. So being of one mind, first and foremost, with God. How are we going to get one mind with each other? Be of one mind with God. Agree with Him in everything. So when we think of pride, which is the opposite of this, or of proud people, our tendency is to picture some combination of like boastfulness and arrogance or uh, a self-promoting behavior that maybe draws attention to how smart they are, or how wonderful they are, how beautiful they are, or maybe want us to think they are. You know, it could be an athlete like flexing their muscles un, uh, unnecessary, an extra time unnecessarily. Like, you know, there's this soccer player I see who, when he scores, he like, like sticks out his leg and goes, <laughs> like, okay, we knew you were good before you did that, but like, okay. Or it could be like a politician that tells us, like just reminds us over and over of how good they did in a certain state. Could be an actress or an actor like dressing and smiling in a kind of a look at me way, each of us asking to notice them. These are the types of things, kind of characterizations that we think about pride or proud people, people drawing attention to themselves. But what I want to say is that that's not pride. That's the fruit of pride. But it's not pride. The root of pride that produces that fruit and others is an overly elevated view of self. And even this can be tricky because deeply insecure people can be very proud. People who don't like themselves or who don't like their lives can be very proud and so having an elevated view of oneself does not mean that we think the world of ourselves. Rather, pride consists of elevating my ideas over God's. My opinions over God's. My preferences, my desires, my will over God's. It means that whatever is ultimately shaping my attitude, my speech, 
my behavior in any given area is not God. That's pride because I'm elevating myself over God. What Paul is saying is the way that we'll ever only ever have this perfect harmony, which we're moving toward in the new creation with each other, is if we're first in full harmony with God. Fully yielded, fully down before him in every way, every thought, every attitude, every everything is yielded to God. So this isn't coming. This isn't about coming to faith in Christ. He's, just, he's speaking to the church. He's assuming they're in Christ. This is about realigning everything under Christ. And so Paul points to Jesus and he says, have this mind among you, among yourselves, or within yourselves, same word, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. Have this mind within yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of humans. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul's quoting what many believe were the words of an early hymn of adoration. And he's lifting up the Philippians' eyes to Jesus and in essence saying to each of them, would you spend a good while considering just who Jesus Christ is? Because he's the pattern for us. Would you remember that Jesus is almighty God? That he is co-eternal co-majestic with God the Father. That He has always been and always will be. That He's without beginning and without end. That He, that there is nothing in this world that does exist that hasn't come into being through Him. Everything was made through Him and in Him all things hold together. He's uncreated. He's immeasurable. He's eternal. He's equally glorious with the Creator of the heavens and the earth. They were all made through Him. Paul says, and yet, when the Father asks Him to give all this glory up, He doesn't hesitate for a moment to say yes. Yes to the Father's good pleasure. And so laying aside His majesty, He allows himself to be wrapped in human frailty. The creator of all things says yes to diaper changes and bouncing on a father's knee and learning to walk on the legs that he designed. Growing up, the Lord before whom all should bow says, yes, I'll become your servant. And spends his life caring for the poor and the sick and the brokenhearted. 
on the night before His death, the One whom we call the water of life says yes to taking a basin of water and then removing His clothes and getting on His knees in front of sinners who had followed Him in part for their own gain and washing their feet. He looks one of them in the eye, one who will betray him, and he calls him friend. Later that night, as he wrestles over the gravity of the cup that he's been asked to drink, wondering whether there can be any other way, he says, not my will. Not my will be done, but yours. The one who is just and who oversees justice and who is the only just judge says yes to being falsely accused and condemned. The creator of all the earth's precious metals says yes to having metals, those metals driven into his hands. The one to whom all apologies and all repentance is owed says yes to offering forgiveness to those who've just finished in his face and tearing open his back and mocking his kingship. In every way, Christ says yes to the Father. Christ surrenders his own rights, holding on to none of them. And Paul says, this is the one who has called you to himself, saying, come, follow me. Come, learn from me. Come, be like me. This humble lowliness of mind, this yes to God the Father in everything type of mind, Paul says, this is yours. This is yours in Christ Jesus. If he who is your Lord yields himself this way, if he who is God has this lowliness of mind, this humility, how much more ought we, his followers, to give up our rights in all things? Our rights to be heard, our rights to be understood, our rights to this, our rights to that. How much more ought we to say, the only right I have is love, to love. The only right I have is to love God and to love everyone else fully and well. And so Paul says, have this humble, totally, lowly, totally yielded to God in everything, mind within yourselves because it's yours in Christ Jesus. Let your whole life be one long, prolonged, Yes to God in Christ. Friends, as we, uh, take, as we take the same attitude toward each other that Christ does toward us, whether in the confines of our living rooms or in the narthex of the church, whether in our friendships or in our marriages, whether with our children or with our parents, there will be unity.
there will be unity because we'll all be trying to get underneath each other. Can you imagine that? Can you picture a community in which everyone is competing to get underneath each other? That's a community in which we'll all be lifted up. We'll all be lifted up because when you get underneath someone, they get lifted up. Right? This is exactly what Paul says happened to Jesus. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the earth and dies, it remains a single kernel. But if it dies and gets planted, it bears much fruit. He died. He surrendered his rights, even though he was God. And God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, says Paul, the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up, says Scripture. So let's end by humbling ourselves before the Lord. We're going to sing the song Adore and I invite you to take a posture of humility. If you're physically able, I invite you to kneel somewhere or to posture yourself bent forward if you can't get on your knees. But let's physically acknowledge, let's love the Lord with our bodies and let's position ourselves and remind ourselves that we are His servants and that His mind is to be in us in all things. Amen.